welcome to the Howardsville Gospel Chapel podcast. Be sure to check us out on the web at howardsvillegospelchapel.com. Thanks for visiting and enjoy the message. I love practical information and things that are, can be grasped, held onto, and applied. And so though I enjoy the deeper studies of theology at times as well, in the end, I want to find out what does that actually mean to me and how is that going to affect and change the way that I live. And as we read even this chapter 2 of Titus, and I invite you to turn to Titus chapter 2 with me, but as we read this, you'll notice the very practical nature of Paul's words to the believers there on Crete. And as you hear these, you'll be reminded probably in your mind of some of his other writings to the believers at Galatia or the believers in Rome. And you'll go, boy, this sounds a little different from Paul. Paul usually is so deep and gives such a a deep background and basis. Well, we're going to find out he doesn't completely ignore that. uh, But what he does here in Titus chapter 2 is really give some practical instruction to the church. And as a church, and as we study this passage, we'll notice that there is a unity of the body of Christ that involves from the youngest participant in our church to the oldest and gives a purpose and a reason and a need for each individual within the body of Christ. And so we are talking about the church as a body that functions together and works together and encourages and uplifts and builds one another up together. A body is not a bunch of feet. A body is not a bunch of hands. A body is not a bunch of heads. Christ is the head of the body of the church. But a body involves every member participating as the Lord has gifted and led them. And so... A great, great opportunity to discuss that in the coming weeks. Let's read Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, and this obviously is a transition statement, and so we're going to go back and take care of remembering what we talked about in a few moments. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge the bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing all good faith, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, 
looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Let's pray, and we'll look at some verses here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a body of believers here. We thank you for the relationships that we share. We thank you for the love and support that we can share with one another in times of loss and in times of joy. Lord, we pray that uh, even we as a congregation would, uh, through this study and through this year, have a desire to invest in one another and uh, encourage one another and edify one another throughout this year, showing and uh, testifying to the fact that we need one another to fulfill the true meaning of the body of believers. We pray that uh, even as we study this morning, as we consider uh, Paul's description of what is a sound and a healthy faith, that we might be drawn to desire health in our faith. We ask that you would give us wisdom, understanding. I ask that you'd guide the words that I say. And uh, we pray, Lord, that our time and our words that are said will glorify and honor your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned before, this is going to be somewhat of a transition message. And so as we go through some of the topics that we're going to cover in this outline. We're also going to be talking and giving a brief uh, look into what we'll be discussing over the next couple of weeks as we study through Titus chapter 2. So my hope is not to be uh, too vague that it doesn't make any sense, but at the same time to be vague enough that you'll want to come back and find out what we have to talk about. Now, it seems a little deceptive, but my, the goal is to help introduce the, the concepts that we have here in Titus 2 that we'll spend the next coming weeks looking at. To get there, we remember what the purpose of the letter of Titus was, and it was a letter from Paul to Titus with an encouragement for him, as was said in verse 5, to, uh, to finish what had been uh, left undone. So Titus chapter 1, verse 5 Paul says to Titus, This reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so we've spent time in chapter 1 looking at the first reason, the first uh, area in which Titus needed to set in order what remained, and that was in setting up leaders. And that was very clear and understandable. As we looked through it, we began to see not just the need for leaders, but we also realized that there was, uh, there was some within the church who had established themselves as leaders, though they were not qualified as leaders, and we looked at that last week, and they were causing confusion within the church, teaching myths and commandments of men as if they were commandments of God, and so that was some of our discussion last time. So the first reason that Titus was given this letter and was left or sent to Crete was to establish these leaders. And then there are a few other 
reasons that I believe. And I think in chapter 2, we see the second reason, uh, which focuses back to chapter 1. But the second reason is to instruct the church on what it looks like to follow healthy teaching. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, you, he is told, Titus is told, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He's to call the church back to what is sound biblical teaching and doctrine, and we're going to see that that looks like practically applying the truth of the gospel to their lives. But he needs to call them back, and the reason he needs to call them back is, uh, as we see in verse 13, that those who had followed the teachers and the false teachers who were, verse 10, they were empty talkers, deceivers, they were upsetting the whole families in the church, teaching things that they should not for the wrong reason. And so Paul says to Titus, this testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Titus needs this church and those that have been led astray and those that were leading others astray to, to come to a place where they were again sound in the faith. And so Titus's job his, I believe, his second reason to finish what needs to be remained was to allow the people to follow what is a sound faith and not be distracted by those things in their life or those things that others were encouraging them to do that were leading them either away from godliness or distracting them from it. As we've read the verses two, uh, in chapter 2, we notice that this, there's a very practical outworking of the faith that Paul is describing. When he says, I want you to get them into a sound and healthy faith, there's a very practical nature to what that looks like. It's not just a set standard of things to believe, but it's a basis of how to live because of what you believe. And that will be a primary focus that we'll continue to look at in the weeks to come in chapter 2. We see as well that he'll address this sound faith going across all or the various genders, across various ages, within society as we enter chapter 3, within work, the workplace in chapter 2. It reaches everywhere. The sound faith touches the lives of believers in every situation, every setting, every person, every age group where they are. It matters to everyone. The attempt that Titus will be doing for the church or the, what he will attempt to do is help them understand what sound doctrine, healthy teaching looks like, sound faith looks like. What truly matters in the faith. Not what distorts or distracts, but what truly matters. And I think that's something that we could probably all agree is pretty interesting to us as well. What really matters in our life? We work through the notes. Some of this is a little bit of a review from last week, and some of it is a little bit of preparation for our study in chapter 2. First of all, in pursuit of a healthy faith. There were those who were led astray by myths and commandments were reproved to turn back to a sound faith. 
This is the concept that carries over from last week. And as we talked about it last week, we used the illustrations of resolutions a little bit. As we said, uh, what we do is important because of not just what we do, but why we do it. And as we set up uh, resolutions, we mentioned last week, we can set up a, there's a bunch of good resolutions that we could make for this coming new year. I don't know, did anybody want to, we won't ask what your resolutions were for the new year. Somebody's telling me, I can't remember who it was, same resolution for the last 40 years. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I remember now. Um, we can set up good resolutions, and yet at the same time, if our motivations for them are an error, they no longer become good. And here, the false teachers were setting forth myths and commandments of men, and we were describing last week, we don't really know exactly what they were, what the commandments were. And some of them, especially if they were coming from Jewish believers, probably had good reason, good backing, good tradition behind them. And you might have been hard-pressed to say, well, that's a really terrible idea to do that. That's a very evil and wicked thing that these false teachers were teaching. It might actually seem like, oh, that seems sensible and right. But we know that it was wrong in the sense that they were doing it for sordid gain. They were doing it for their own gain. They were teaching it to make themselves maybe more powerful, to profit themselves in some way. So the heart and the motivation behind what we do is so significant and so important. And Paul has told Titus, you need to bring them back to a sound faith where what they do matters where they're focused on what truly matters in the faith. The problem was that those teachings and commandments were detracting from the sound faith. And I use this word sound faith, and, we, and here I've been using it inter- interchangeably with healthy and teaching. So we'll have to explain that a little bit. Verse 13 He's being told to reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Okay, so the word sound there has the idea of being in a state of health and wellness. So it is a a healthy place. It is a sound place. It's a, a good thing. Sound faith. The other word that we have to help describe is in chapter 2, verse 1. Whereas we see Titus told to teach them, speak the things which are fitting for sound. Here we are, healthy again, same word. In a state of health, wellness, a sound or a healthy doctrine. And the word doctrine is is a loaded word. At least it's a loaded word for me. When I think of the word doctrine, can you imagine what I think of? I apply one other word to the end of it. Doctrine, well, doctrinal, God gives it away, statements. When we think of doctrine, our minds are often maybe drawn to strict and and specific teachings of the church. And so when Paul says here, uh, as the New American Standard translates, to teach those things which are fitting for sound doctrine, I think of, oh, are we about to enter into a doctrinal class? which we had one of those a couple months ago, and we went through every point of thing to teach and why we believe it and how it happens. Is that what Paul is telling Titus to do here? 
Is the faith all about knowing a certain set of facts and where the verses are to support those? The rest of the chapter would, would look, no, those facts and beliefs actually change the way that you live. The rest of the chapter is all about how you live practically because of it. And so the word doctrine there is just could be also teaching, sound teaching. You speak the things that are good for sound teaching. The substance of what is taught is the doctrine. What is taught, teaching, is the faith. What is the faith that is taught? And that is the gospel. So they, those who were led astray by these myths and commandments needed to be brought back into a sound faith, a healthy faith, not distracted, not deviated, not uh, deterred from what truly matters, but brought back to a sound and healthy faith. What did that look like? Well, we can say what did it look like by looking at what it wasn't. Because we realize what it wasn't was a set of commandments, a checklist of things that were described by some as right and to not do them is wrong. And the example that we can use and what we looked at as well last week is in Mark chapter 7 in verse 6. And this is Jesus speaking. We looked at the prior verses last week. We'll continue on in verse 6 this week. Jesus said to the, uh, the Pharisees and scribes and the crowd that had gathered, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and... He who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. Jesus says in this passage to these scribes and Pharisees and the crowds that were listening is that they had come up with good traditions and commandments, something similar to what was probably being taught in that church in Titus. They'd come up with great traditions of men, commandments of men to help them support the religious faith. And yet those commandments of men that they were establishing turned out to be violated and manipulated to serve themselves. I like the Gospel of Mark because it helps explain things for us without me having to do that. We can see in these verses what was happening was that people would say, hey, what I have, my possessions and my savings account is all dedicated to the Lord. It's the Lord's. It's going to be His. Uh, I'm going to give it to Him. And somehow that meant that they could still use it, but it was dedicated at the end of their life maybe to the Lord. So they would say, this, is, this money I have, 
these possessions I have are dedicated to the Lord, which is, we would say, well, that's a pretty good thing. I mean, that's, it's not a bad thing to dedicate items to the Lord or to even offer to give them to the Lord. But what they were doing is they were saying, hey, look, I want this stuff to be given to the Lord, and so now it is set apart in a separate category, which actually it's protected now against being used for anything, including I can no longer actually use these funds or these possessions to help my parents. They chose to do something that may at one time have been a great commandment, made sense in a way to dedicate and give things to the temple and support the Lord's work, they were able to manipulate and use that for their own selfish gain and say, oh, now I can just dedicate this to the Lord and here's a little loophole. I don't have to take care of my parents. And that's going to be my brother's responsibility. Now, I don't know what they might say, but we realize, oh, how quickly the commandments and the regulations and the traditions and the and the traditions of men become something less than what the Lord intended them to be and actually take away from God's desires for mankind. The substance of the teaching was leading individuals to avoid their responsibilities. And we say the substance of the teaching, what I mean there is maybe the teaching itself wasn't wrong at all but the way it was being used and applied and kept became in error and for selfish reasons. Titus then has said, Paul says to Titus, you are to stop that. You're to stop all this distraction from what matters. You're to stop all these commandments and myths and things that... that deviate people from following the Lord, and you're to set them up so that they will follow sound teaching. They will follow healthy teaching, healthy doctrine. What they know and what they believe and how they live will be in accordance with the faith. They will be sound in the faith. When Paul says the faith, he's obviously referring to the faith that was passed down to him from the apostles and from Christ himself. And what does that look like? Teach that which is going to be sound, healthy. Does that mean that there will be no longer any expectations for mankind, for believers? If following certain commandments and traditions is, can be misused and abused, does that mean that there are no expectations out of Christians? We might consider it nice if there was. But as soon as we continue reading, we realize, wait, there's a great deal of things expected out of believers who are going to live healthy, sound Christian lives. Let's look at verse 2. They're supposed to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, love, 
perseverant. That's a whole lot. That's a high standard for those who want to be sound in the faith. I thought you just said that uh, to be following commandments and traditions of men could be misused and abused. So what what are we going after in a sound and healthy faith? Well, I guess as I read this, I realize that even in verse 2 and as we will continue on, these are not checklists of commandments but they are general characteristics applied to every facet of life. And as I have to get there and develop it a little bit more, and I need to chew on it a little bit more too. But I consider it like this. When I send my son over to a friend's house or to go to do an activity, let's say they're going roller skating, And I say to them, okay, son, I have some expectations out of you. When you walk in that door, I don't want you slamming that door. I just want you to gently push it open, gently let it close. If somebody's there, hold it open for them. When you walk into that building, I want you to be careful to see where you're going and make sure you're not running around knocking people over. When you walk to the desk, I want you to be polite to the individual. When you walk over to the arcade area, I don't want you to touch any of those unless you have money. And if you do have money, then you can put it in. But even then, I want you to be very careful when you use it. I don't want you breaking it. I don't want to pay for it. When they give you the roller blades or roller skates, I want you to be careful when you put them on. Okay? When you tie your laces, I want them double knotted. I, I want you to make sure your socks are pulled up. I don't want any blisters. When you go out, how many of you have given instructions to your children like that before? Well, <laughs> Jim Cripps says, maybe me. It, is that helpful? It, it may be. I, sometimes I think it might be required. But no, there's, we would like it to be, son, when you walk into there with your friends, please act as if I'm standing right next to you. Please don't do things that are ridiculous. Please don't break things. It's a general characteristic. You've learned. You know what's acceptable when I'm around. Please, act that way. When we read this, it looks a lot like that to me. Be temperate. Well, we'll talk about what temperate means next time. But temperate in what? Well, temperate in everything can give you every specific, be dignified. Be dignified in your house, be dignified at work, be dignified when you're driving down the road, be dignified. It's, it's who you are. The characteristics that are given here for the faith are not necessarily a set of lists that can be checked and said, okay, I went to church, check, I'm healthy. All right. I prayed before my meal, check, I won't choke, and it will be beneficial to my body. It's not like that. The faith is something more. It's something that changes who we are, and that is 
And so we're going to jump now from chapter 2, verse 1 there, and look at chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. So what is the healthy faith then? For the grace of God appeared, verse 11, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. A healthy faith flows from the teaching of the gospel. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, sell us for good deeds. The truth of the gospel, that God came, that he sent his son to redeem mankind, and that in doing so, we were given salvation, and we were given a hope, and we were given a purpose, it changes who we are. The teaching of the gospel says that we're saved to something. We weren't saved to lawlessness in which there's no expectations for believers. We're saved to something. We're saved to, well, here we're saved to be a a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Jesus said that we were saved to be the light of the world to let our good works be seen by others so that they would glorify the Father. John 13 said that we were saved to show love and so that those who saw our love would know who we are. The Christian faith is anything but passive. And that's something that I have to wrestle with a little bit more. The Christian faith is anything but passive. We can't hide in a hole our faith and hope that we're doing what Christ asked us to do. Instead, it will be something that's active, actively changing who we are on the inside and actively exhibiting itself in our characteristics on the outside. What does that mean? We can just use an example like patience because it's something that it seems every one of us realize we could use a little bit more of. Patience is not something that we need to ask for maybe more patience when we're driving. We need to be internally changed to become a patient person in every circumstance. Patience has to become the characteristic of who we are, not just how we operate in a certain situation. The next question is, how in the world do you do that? How do you actually let your inner being be changed and renewed into something new so that you no longer act in that example, impulsively or quickly or in anger? Well, thankfully, we have that answer, only it comes in chapter 3. give you the teaser of it, though. 
chapter 3, verse 5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The renewing of the Holy Spirit is how we are made new in our inner being. But the outcome of a healthy faith, what is the outcome of a healthy faith? We just leave with this, and, and as we said, we'll continue looking at it more throughout the coming weeks. But verse 12 of Titus chapter 3, we are instructed to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and instead to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What does a healthy faith look like if we were to summarize it down quickly? One commentator helps describe these different characteristics, sensible, righteous, and godly, like this. Within ourselves, internally, we are sensible. Before others, externally, we are righteous and upright. Before God, vertically, we live a godly life without shame. It affects who we are within, without, and before the Lord. It's our desire to have a healthy faith. It should be our desire. That flows out of a person that has been changed and renewed and made new based in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Following the expectations of a changed inner man conformed to the image of Christ himself exhibiting the light of God through their lives. We'll see some examples of that that looks like for the older men and older women, for the younger men and for the younger women as we continue looking. But for today, my desire, and especially as we'll invite the men forward in a few minutes, is to say, what is your faith? Is your faith a sound, healthy faith that encompasses your whole being? Or is your faith a set of do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, to be okay? If we're simply following commandments and traditions of men to think that we have soundness and health in our faith, we might need to do a reevaluation and say, is my faith flowing out of the gospel that has transformed my life and giving me new desires to love others, to love God, to search him out, and to walk in a relationship with him? Is that the faith that I possess? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank